0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios. In a time of ancient gods.
1: Warlords and kings. What the hell is this?
2: (laughs) How dare you, Tobin? Why do you not recognize this music? What is it? It's Xena Warrior Princess.
1: Oh, Zena! She was Zena, a, a,
2: a mighty princess forged, in the, forged in the heat of battle.
1: Why are we listening to this?
2: Because What's Tobin, Tobin, Xena Warrior Princess was my favorite show
1: growing up. What a gem.
2: Let me tell you why I love that show. <laughs> okay. We had two strong women fighting battles, killing bad guys... Riding on horses, Mm -hmm. sometimes they bathe together. One dies over and over again.
1: Uh The other one revives her. Right.
2: And I should have known, looking back now, I should have known that me loving that show so much when I was a kid probably meant that I was gay. Right. And here's the thing. I was a strong denier that they were a couple. Really? I was anti-couple. I was like... There are two women with a great friendship, and I have great friendships with women. It's fine. They're mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> There's mm.
1: nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> Move along.
2: Yeah, but you know why? It's because I had no other gay role models in my life. Right. Like, gay was a bad thing. So whatever friendships I had with other girls, like, I saw in Xena, and I truly believed that they were friends to the end. Oh. And also the creator said so.:
1: You got to believe. Yeah, You're OG. Yeah.
3: From WNYC Studios. This is Nancy.:
1: With your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy too.: All right, I think this first one we're going to watch is called "Asian, Asian Persuasion. Persuasion.": Yeah, the quality is really poor. This is my boyfriend. He's a white dude, but don't worry, he's been extreme vetted. And this is us sitting down to watch as many films as I could find of this guy named Brandon Lee. So that's Brandon Lee right there? Yeah, to the left, that's him. All right, he's got like a really cool sort of floral shirt. It looks like they walked into a place, they're putting up sheetrock. There's like definitely, this is a remodeled Mm -hmm. home that's happening here, I think. Um, Okay. Yeah, getting into it. I like the music. It's a little bit
4: Nintendo-y. I think it's of the era, yeah. Yeah.
1: Here we go. Let's continue and play.
4: I'd like to see that. Get on your knees and I'll show you.
1: There's a dick. Mm -hmm. Maybe you thought this was going to be a story about Brandon Lee, the actor and son of Bruce Lee. It's not. The Brandon Lee I'm interested in is a porn star. Or he was. Back in the late 90s, Brandon was as big a porn star as they come, which is kind of amazing because it was so rare to see an Asian performer in porn. Still is. But that's not the only reason Brandon became a sensation. He was known for having an even rarer distinction. There he is. He's topping. Yeah, he is. He definitely is. Brandon Lee was known as the first Asian top. If you're not a gay Asian man like me, you might not know that the role we play in porn is often glorified prop. Well, I've never really done this before. I'm kind of nervous. It's my first time in this guy I ever touched. We're submissive. Maybe we've got a cartoonish accent. I was young and didn't feel.
0: I'm looking through your taxes in this audit. And you owe the government
1: about $15,000. What? Maybe we're your nerdy accountant doing your taxes. Well, there's
0: something you could do. You know what I
1: mean? And we're generally bottoms, which if you don't know what that means, first of all, where have you been? Second of all, bottoming means we're the ones getting fucked. Anyway, you might not realize the kind of damage all of this inflicts. For me, it started way back when I was a teenager. Time, music, please. The first time I saw porn, I remember it felt like a miracle. I was 12, gay, and completely clueless. While Sex Ed at School was providing detailed handouts on how men and women had sex, I was pretty much on my own to figure out what happened between gay men. I think I imagined something like two Ken dolls being smashed together. But then I found gay porn— And for the first time, I could see in close-up detail how men had sex. It was horrifying, and fascinating, and fucking great. But at the same time, porn was also teaching me what gay men found desirable. Because if I saw anyone who remotely resembled me in porn, they were there to be the nerdy, timid bottom. Was I supposed to be that kind of guy? Was there something wrong with me if I wasn't? No, it's still going. They've both got, like, cute little tan lines in their butts. We watched a lot of porn for this story. You know, because journalism. And as I watched Brandon, this sort of medium build Asian guy with a 90s center part and palpable sexual charisma, I found myself wishing that I could have seen someone like him back in the day. But then... The previous owners will be removing
4: this remaining furniture tomorrow.
1: This is Brandon in another scene from Asian Persuasion.
4: I like it. The neighborhood's great. And it's
1: large. And that's another Asian guy in the scene that Brandon's about to top. The small talk in the beginning was really weird. It was bad. But you know The thing I immediately noticed is that Brandon Lee doesn't have an accent, and the other guy does. I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's um, exoticizing or fetishizing the other guy, even though they're both Asian. That's very astute of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I kind of felt like he was just sort of playing the white dude. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, no, 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 that's no, super fucked up. But... No, no, but I think you're right. Oh, okay. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> okay. It was kind of icky to watch. It felt like a betrayal. Brandon broke so many barriers, but... Here he was, in a film called Asian Persuasion, othering the Asian dude. I wanted him to normal-ray this shit. You know, like, stand up on a box and say, no, I will not allow my dick to participate in the negative stereotyping of Asian men. A couple years later, Brandon dropped off the porn map, stopped performing, stopped communicating with his fans, and after watching his films... I wondered why.
4: I mean, dude was a rock star. He had fan clubs. We made a dildo of him. We molded his penis, and, you know, I think it was one of the top sellers. This is Shishi LaRue. I'm an adult film director, DJ, drag queen extraordinaire. He's also the guy who made Brandon Lee a star.
1: If you've ever seen Shishi in drag, you know that he wears a big blonde wig that's teased out in full May West glamour. That's usually paired with a bright lipstick and thick eyeliner, not to mention eyebrows that are drawn so arched they look like they're permanently skeptical. Hi, Tobin. I'm, um, I'm actually I'm visiting home right now, so I'm talking to you from a makeshift studio in my parents' closet.
4: <laughs> well, darling, come out of the closet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shishi says he's been obsessed with porn since he was 16, growing up in a small town called Hibbing, Minnesota. He used to drive to nearby Duluth to sneak into adult theaters.
4: I always looked older than I was so I could get in. So I just, I became obsessed with it. Uh, I knew all the stars. I knew everything about it. When I moved to Los Angeles, I applied for a job. And because of my knowledge, I was hired instantly as a salesman. And that was not exciting <laughs> and i uh, <laughs> i wanted to be where the action was i wanted to see the naked people and i think that has a lot to do with with my insecurities as from being not from being someone that didn't want to be naked the freedom of other people that they were able to do this and that's why i think i was so obsessed with porn to begin with well and so like ballpark how many films do you think you've directed at this point with the combination of straight, gay, bisexual, transsexual, all the different types. Uh, God, thousands. Thousands. That's yeah. amazing. Shishi
1: started directing for a company called Channel One in 1997. That's when he discovered Brandon. I was reading somewhere online that the the legend is that he was a Chinese food delivery boy and he was delivering to a set
4: and the director asked to see his egg roll. Okay, well that's not the truth but he was in a movie called with sex you get egg roll oh okay kind of a racist title yeah. but i mean kind of steering
1: stereoty- <laughs> it's funny actually they met at a gay bathhouse in la
4: and there was this cute asian boy there and he was wandering around and people were following him old men in towels were following him and i walked right up to him and said oh, my god you're so cute and what are you doing here and do you want to do movies Did Brandon feel any kind of way about sort of those early films that really focused on his race? I don't believe so. He never expressed any animosity or or dislike to them. He thought it was funny. He got a kick out of a a title called Fortune Nookie. I mean, you know, it's a a clever title. So is White on Rice. So is With Sex, You Get Egg Roll. They're fun titles. I mean, I did a a transsexual movie called My Granny Was a Tranny. So it's kind of like, did, did the... Did the transsexual get offended? I don't think so. I think they kind of know what they're in for and what their what their market is and what their audience is.
1: I mean, that's an interesting thing. I think, like, sometimes the industry gets called out for affirming stereotypes or affirming racism. And, yeah, they do. Yeah, and I wonder to what degree you think that's fair and to what degree you think it's a space that's kind of fun to play with. with that. Like you were saying with the titles, it's just kind of silly
4: and fun. I think that everyone nowadays are so afraid of being politically correct, and everyone's always looking for something to jump on. I did a series called Blackballed for for Channel One, where it's one white performer and like six to ten black tops, and they were some of our best sellers. Dean Monroe did Blackballed Five, and that thing still sells and sells and sells. So you can't please everybody, and everybody's always looking for something to bitch about or to complain about or to to call somebody out on especially me you know i mean they love to say oh that Shishi larue is racist and what am i gonna do i've got to get off my soapbox and just take care of myself and police myself and keep the people that work for me safe that's my job i can't worry about everybody else
1: okay maybe it's all in my head after all it's just porn i was just gonna ask i've been trying to get in touch with brandon to interview him and I keep getting bum
4: phone numbers. Oh, I can try to find that for you. Please leave a message after the tone.
1: Hey, uh, this is Tobin calling. I think Shishi LaRue uh, gave you a heads up that I was going to give you a ring. Cool. I look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Hello. So, uh, well, first I want to say, like, I am so excited to talk to you because you're like a needle in the haystack for me. Oh, no. Okay. Psych! Not Brandon. I'm just trolling you. Apologies. At this point, Brandon and I had texted back and forth. He'd say, let's talk tomorrow, but then I'd follow up and he'd be gone again. It's a whole thing. He's a hard guy to nail down. But this guy...
0: My name is Huang Tan Nguyen. I am a professor of literature and cultural studies at the University
1: of California, San Diego. And he's a major Brandon fan. Started back for him when he was in grad school. One of his friends was telling him about this porn star he just discovered.
0: The way my friend told me about him was that, oh, there's this, you know, hot, young gay porn actor who is a top. You know, he's really handsome, really muscular, and he got, he's got a big dick, which is, you know, a big departure in terms of representations of uh, Asian-American men in gay pornography. So I, I looked up his work, you know, at, at my local video store. <laughs> yeah, this is like, you know, a uh, brick-and-mortar video store in the Castro, and that's how I encounter Brandon Lee. Wong thinks
1: a lot about Asian men in porn. He's written several research papers, published a book called A View from the Bottom, and Brandon is a big factor. Because as much as he's a fan, Huang also thinks that Brandon's career is complicated.
0: One might easily embrace him as this gay porn Asian American hero that we've been waiting for. But, you know, based on my research, when we looked at, you know, what happens in his videos and in the way that he's packaged, you know, in publicity material, we see that, in fact, He's posed against his Asian co-stars, you know, who are considered to be bottoms, who are considered to be having small dicks, who are considered to be, you know, FOBs, like fresh off the boat immigrants, you mm-hmm. know. So in order for Brandon Lee to be portrayed as this uh, important intervention, it's business as usual for the other, uh, you know, uh, Asian co-stars uh, who yeah. are, are occupying the same sort of abject position of, you know, uh, the one who's fucked over. Okay, maybe it's not in my head.
1: Validation. Have you ever talked to Brandon Lee or have you ever tried to talk to Brandon Lee?
0: I have not talked to Brandon Lee. Uh, really? Yeah, I think, to, to be honest, I think I really uh, want to have distance between me and him because if I do talk to him, I feel like some of the magic would disappear. Right, it's the never meet your idols thing. Right, 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 right. Yes. <laughs> especially, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, pornographic fantasies. Right, you right.
1: Know. <laughs> Hello, Tobin here. Shishi LaRue may have mentioned that I wanted to interview you. I the opportunity to speak. Hello, hope you're good. Apologies for bugging you again. Wanted to check in to see if you might be up for a conversation. Hi again, Tobin here, New York radio reporter that Shishi vouched for. Sorry to bug you again, deadline's approaching. Wondering if we can set up a time for our interview. We'll be very low key, can be done at your convenience. So, I got to admit something. Brandon totally ghosted on me. Stopped responding, he didn't want to talk. I'm a modern gay man, I know how that goes. But I did manage to find this.
5: Hi, my name's Brandon Lee. Nice to meet everybody.
1: This is Brandon talking to a Filipino news show a couple years ago. It's a pretty standard puff piece. He talks a little bit about the job.
0: Artist. he just goes through, and looks at my entire body, and sees if I need any, if I have any blemishes or anything, and then just touches.
1: But then he starts talking about what he doesn't like as much about being a porn star. Some of the
0: you know downfalls of, of the job are just being seen as an object. Sometimes, where I'll go out to a club and somebody just thinks I can go and just grab my junk and no, 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 no. no I'm
1: and then towards the end. I decided to become a
0: chef and, and concentrate on a, on a career outside of porn because my looks aren't going to last forever and, you know, I'm going to be 40 one day and, you know, I'm not going to look the same. So, I might as well have something to fall back on.
1: So, you know, seems like he got tired of it. Wanted to cook for a living. I get that. Good for Brandon. Still, it's kind of a bummer that he's
4: out of the business. People ask about, him all the time this is Shishi again you know we talk to this day we talk he actually has been talking about doing a comeback really yes (laughs) and uh, you know he still wants to be a part of it a little bit you know I think once you're a part of it it's kind of hard to let go of that little bit of limelight you know so you've heard it here first
1: so maybe Brandon isn't out of the game maybe he is can't verify unless the dude calls me back But I have to say, a funny thing occurred to me while I was working so hard to get in touch with him. Aside from wanting to know why he quit, I kinda didn't know what I wanted to say to the guy. I mean, what was there to say? Congrats, how could you, thanks for existing? None of it felt right. I mean, it's true, porn taught me about desire. It also messed me up. But that's my shit, not his. And anyway, once I started having actual sex, I realized it was much, much more complicated. And that in the end, it really just matters who you fuck in real life. Or, you know, who you let fuck you.
2: Growing up, um, were there any characters from TV or movies, that kind of stuff, that you um, looked up to or identified with?
0: For me, definitely uh, George Takei. You know, that's, that's somebody who represents Asian-Americans. You know, I'm a 1950s guy, so we're going back now. And Lone Ranger, who doesn't want to put on a white hat and save the world,
1: you know? Uh, Ms. Frizzle from The Magic School Bus. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah. In retrospect, it was because she was kind of like a fierce dyke.
3: This is Nancy. We'll be back after these messages.
2: Tobin. Yes? I want to tell you a story about a girl named Sarah.
3: Hi, my name is Sarah Liu, and I live in Chicago. She's a grown-up now, and she's
2: in her 30s. She's a radio producer. Love it. But back when she was a kid, she'd go on vacation with her parents to Wisconsin. Love it
1: less.
2: (laughs) They'd stay on a lake where they'd fish and hike and all sorts of outdoorsy stuff.
3: When my folks had their fill of outdoorsy activities, they'd take me to a nearby town to goof around um, because there are interesting shops and restaurants there to kind of switch it up a little bit.
2: And their favorite spot to visit was called Henry's General Store. It
3: had outdoor equipment, a canoe hanging from the ceiling, and there were wool shirts, like Pendleton shirts or Woolrich shirts, mittens and hats, whimsical wind-up
2: toys, high-quality pens and pencil sharpeners, and notebooks, leather-bound notebooks.
1: So basically, this is is like your dream store. Yes,
2: canoes and high-quality pens. What else do you need in this world? (laughs) They'd go every year. And they talked to the woman who ran the store.
3: Maura had blue eyes and short hair and brown bangs that kind of like swoop in front of her forehead and just like a really kind voice and just a a warm persona. She was probably wearing like dark jeans and boots and like a cool flannel (laughs) or some kind of comfortable but classic outdoorsy look. I thought she was super cool and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I wasn't usually like a shy kid. I was a pretty talkative, precocious kid, actually. But around Mora, I kind of clammed up a little bit. There was just sort of, for me, this sort of like charge in the air, like uh, kind of like an electricity or something that just like something was up. The thing is, Sarah probably only ever
2: talked to Maura for like 10 minutes total over all those years.
3: Even though our interactions were very brief, Maura still loomed large in my life. So
2: eventually, Sarah became an adult herself. She came out, she went to college, she got married. And over time, she kind of forgot about Maura in the general store. And then one day she's at this concert and the person performing sings a cover of the song called Ring of Keys. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Uh, I know Ring
1: of Keys, Kathy. Do you? It's from Fun Home. Is this a story about a musical?
2: No, it is not a story about a musical because I don't like musicals. But you are the musical guy. So why don't you explain Fun Home?
1: (laughs) (laughs) With pleasure. Okay. So Fun Home is about the queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel And the scene that this song, Ring of Keys, is from is when Allison is a little girl, maybe like 10, and she sees this butch delivery woman with short hair and jeans and this Ring of Keys on her hip, and she is completely entranced. Your swagger and your bearing and just right clothes, you're wearing your short hair and your dungarees and your lace-up boots. And your keys oh, your ring of keys
3: when i heard it i i cried a lot i was like just totally transported back to being 12 and being in this store and looking up at the storekeeper mora and thinking like oh my gosh um, and it's it's kind of like it was a very charged moment, and I was like instantly taken back
2: there. Sarah suddenly realizes that Mora was her ring of keys
3: person, the adult that showed her who she could be someday. That triggered these memories of childhood and made me think about Mora and what she might be up to. And I wondered if I could like go back to Henry's and what that would be like to walk back in as an adult and and like say hi to Mora. But I found out that Henry's was closed. And then I did a little internet search-in, found her email. I, I wrote her, and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I'd really like to talk to you. And she wrote back. Hey. <laughs> wow. How's it going? Look at you. What's up? I haven't seen you in, like, 15 years.
5: This is amazing. You're so (laughs) grown up. I can't believe it.
3: Okay, well, do you want to go to the studio? I would love it. Awesome.
5: The name of my store was Henry's, and my name is Mara Kutugia.
3: The first memory I have of your story is you had, like, a bunch of back issues of Outside Magazine that, like, <laughs> didn't sell because they were old or yes. something. But you're like, but it's a cool magazine. And then you gave me a bunch of, like, <gasps> copies of it. And then I read it. And, like, I still subscribe to that magazine. Wow. And I've read every issue for the last 20 years. So. <laughs> I'm
5: just, I'm smiling ear to ear. <laughs>
3: So how would you describe the general store?
5: Uh, I think I had this idea in my head. Grab your backpack, grab an amazing pen, grab a notebook that feels good to you, and go walk outside and write.
3: In my memory, there's this sort of like Northwoods, Norman Rockwell almost, nostalgia kind of thing going on. Yes,
5: and it gave me an opportunity to kind of live in this alter ego of the North Woods and snowshoeing and, and skiing and wearing buffalo plaid and kind of the fantasy of the 40s and somebody being in the Adirondacks, although we were in Wisconsin at the time. I was always open and I never hid being gay, but I never necessarily talked about it. It just wasn't unless it was part of the conversation. There's no reason to. I, did I ever say? I don't remember ever don't, saying anything about a partner. I can't I imagine think you I would did. have.
3: Yeah, like it's not like you're like, hi, hi I'm, I'm or, gay. Welcome to Henry's General Store. I'm a homosexual. <laughs> the pens are over there. <laughs> I've always kind of wondered more about your life. Can I ask you sure. some personal questions? Yeah, absolutely.
5: Um, can you tell me uh, when and where you were born? So, born in Newton, Massachusetts, and grew up in Waltham, right next door. How would you describe your childhood? It was awesome. I was incredibly lucky, and am incredibly lucky, to have parents who always encouraged us to think outside of the box. Even when things like gender identity and sexuality were not part of that, thinking outside of the box, I was very fortunate. I went to Armenian school. I did Irish step dancing. No wonder I'm so confused.
3: (laughs) Um, Can you tell me more about your alter ego?
5: Um, There's always been a part of me, certainly since I was younger, that I liked guys' stuff. I liked guys' clothing. I thought it was much cooler. I thought, why every time I want to buy something does it have to be purple or pink? So I think there was that little alter ego, that other part of me, whether we want to call it androgynous, uh, growing up. I feel very fortunate that I have had that. I get to see kind of both sides and to sometimes be called sir which still happens I'm 53 and I'm it still happens.
3: Yeah, I get sirred also. I look like a teenage boy right now I'm wearing a yes. flannel, I have
5: very short <laughs> hair and jeans. I've sort of had the same thing and up until I was probably in my mid 40s people still thought I was a, a young boy. Or couldn't quite figure out why I had such soft skin uh, <laughs> and gray hair. <laughs> um, there were those moments when I was little where people would say, oh, your sons are so handsome. And I'd be like, oh, I love that. Right? It was empowering.
3: Yeah. I feel like when I was misgendered as a kid, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. And, right. like, it embarrassed other people. Yes. I wasn't embarrassed. Yeah. You know?
5: I would get embarrassed when other people would figure it out. And then they would be embarrassed or something. I mean, one of the worst is I was wearing a shirt that had the Declaration of Independence on it. And somebody came along and, thinking I was a boy, put his hand on my chest and was reading it. It was one of the worst days of my life. To this day, I still remember. And it was a lot worse than just like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. Uh, I've never really forgotten that moment. And so, Yeah.
3: What was the hard thing about that?
5: I think the hard thing about that was laughing about it afterwards, that everybody found humor in it. Haha! isn't that funny that he thought you were a boy and you were actually a girl? What, what am I? What can I do? What am I allowed to do? I think I always knew something was – there's no doubt I knew from a very, very young age that something was different. But I had no language for it. I had no visual language for it. Uh, Nothing.
3: So I used to come to your store Mm -hmm. with my parents probably around 1996, 1997. Wow,
5: just when I opened.
3: What are your impressions of me then, or how would you describe 12-year-old Sarah?
5: (laughs) 12-year-old Sarah was so... Gosh, you were so cute. I remember you and your parents would come in. I can still see you you'd put your hands in your pocket and you'd dig them deep in. And you'd kind of tighten up your shoulders a little bit. And everything became not stiff, but certainly regulated. Your head would be down, but you'd kind of look up at me. It was so sweet. So sweet. And I used to think, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if, She'll be gay. And I do my best. This is not how I, I don't go around <laughs> making assumptions, and, and I don't think we, anybody should go around and make assumptions and assessments. However, I was doing with you in that moment what you were doing with me. There was a connection.
3: I think it's just game-recognized yeah. game. And there's a certain skill or, like, art to being a gender-fluid person in the world. Ah, and when you, like, see word. someone else doing that, it's like, oh, hey.
5: You, you, it looked familiar.
3: So, like, in my girlhood, I think it was cool to be a tomboy or encouraged. But, like, around 12, you sort of Mm. get the message, that's not cute anymore. Or, like, if you're going to grow up, you have to change. And then going to your store where there is this, it opened the possibility of, like, an adult tomboy (laughs) (laughs) life that was of personal significance, both the store, but also you as an individual embodying that, too. Mm. Being a little awkward 12-year-old gay kid and then seeing a very charming, confident gay adult, it allowed me to imagine Mm. an adult version of myself, which was huge, but also the layer of my parents thought you were cool, and so that made me think that they would approve of me being gay. Wow. <laughs> so that's a lot. Do you have any <laughs> um, get up to off this? the
5: floor? Uh, thank you. That is the oh I am getting choked up. Yeah. Thank you. Oof I never knew. That I could... It's okay. (laughs) That I could actually be a role model for somebody. That's pretty powerful. That's really powerful. So thank you.
3: Thank you for being that role model.
5: (laughs) Wow. It's interesting that I may have appeared... Confident twenty years ago, that deep inside and not at all, what was going on? I just couldn't seem to find a lot of happiness. So I was happy on the one hand, and yet I can remember feeling like unhappy on the other. I think I was depressed and didn't really know it, didn't understand it i think I think a lot of what was going on was still not sure who I was. I just didn't have the confidence in me. I loved my store. I knew that the store uh, represented me. That felt good. I knew how I fit when I rode my bike. I knew how I fit when I was in my canoe. But yeah, there was a part of me that didn't know how I fit in the world. I was just trying to figure this out on my own. And were you the you were the age that I am
3: now when what? I met you?
5: <laughs> I was thirty two when I opened yeah. Henry's.
3: Yeah, and I'm thirty two now. Wow. Yeah.
5: Wow, yes, okay, Sarah. <laughs> I think you already know this, or I hope you do. You are gonna be okay. <laughs> you are awesome. I look at you and go, "Gosh, I wish I were that cool when I was thirty two. You have your parents who support you. You're married. I'm uh, c- congratulations oh, by thank the way. You. you too Yes, I just got mm-hmm. married on New Year's Eve. That was beautiful. That is beautiful.
3: So I have one last question. Yes. How do you keep your keys? How do you carry your keys around?
5: How do I carry my keys around? Oh, here. I'm going to show you. Yeah. All right, hold please. on. Ha. Oh, isn't that awesome? It's something I would have carried at Henry's, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome.
3: The outline. I can't believe I love
5: my keychain. <laughs>
3: um, do you want to see my keys? Yes, oh. I do. <laughs> Of course, I have a Crafty Beaver Hardware Store customer rewards
5: <laughs> tag on it. Because I go to okay. the hardware store. Hey, could we just, you know, that's like your lesbian ID card. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> that was Sarah Lou and Mara Katusian.
1: Okay, okay. That's our show. It's credits time. Credits, let's go. Our producer, Matt Collett. Sound designer, Jeremy Bloom. Editor, Jenny Lawton. Executive producer,
2: Paula Schumann.
1: And here is Caroline English, she does our social media.
2: We're on Facebook at Nancy Podcast, mm-hmm. Twitter at Nancy Podcast. Mm-hmm. MySpace. MySpace at Nancy Podcast. No, we're not No, we're MySpace. not there. No one's there. No one's on
1: MySpace.
2: Uh, yeah, LinkedIn. If you want to connect? No. LinkedIn? No. No? No. Will you join
5: me on my professional network?
1: No. You can listen to Nancy on the Spotify mobile app. I'm Tobin Lowe. I'm Kathy Too. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. I saw porn. But what about racism? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay.